So welcome back um, to the NLP UK training podcast. I'm Callie Fraser. And I'm Steve Kay. So today we're going to be really exploring um, why we see the world the way that we do. Okay. That's quite a big topic, isn't it, It Steve? is. In fact, it's probably enough for two episodes. Mm, quite possibly. So... Why do we see the world the way that we do? Well, if you take my sister's kids, they're all kind of, well, no, not all of them, but she's got quite a few. But they're kind of the middle, the median is kind of like late 20s, early 30s. And so my sister was born in the 60s, mm-hmm. 1962, I think, Um and our mum was born in 1935. So she grew up kind of during the Second World War. Okay. When rationing was around and rationing stayed around till like 1956, 57. So my sister would have heard my mum saying... Eat everything on your plate, Anne. Oh, that sounds familiar. Eat everything on your plate. Don't waste anything. Mm. What about the poor children who haven't got any food? Kind of thing. And so Anne would probably say the same things to her girls when they were growing up and her lads when they were growing up. So make sure you eat everything on your plate. Don't waste anything. So do you think that was because of the the whole situation in the war where food was really scarce? Yeah. yeah. And that influenced how they're seeing life. And So it becomes a value, doesn't it? Uh, okay. It becomes a value. So, so your values are formed when you're very little. Mm. Um, in fact, I was reading a book that you bought me for Christmas and it was by Lisa Feldman Barrett. Mm. And she said, like, you know when... You see, like on the TV, and a foal's born. It can pretty well stand up on four yeah. legs within about an hour, can't yeah. it? Whereas a baby is um, like can't do anything for the Very first. Very helpless. Helpless. Yeah, mm. has to be fed and changed mm. and looked after. And what she was saying is that babies are created where the design and development is very much left to the carers or parents, which is a bit of a problem for some people who like. Um, aren't very good at it Mm. or um, don't love them very much and uh, or who don't look after them and said that babies are born with twice as many neuron connections as they need in adult life and they go through a process of tuning and pruning so that a baby being born in the human race god this is getting heavy can fit into any environment in the world Um, and the design development is left up to the parents and carers to tune and prune it, to shape it to the life it's going to have in that part of the world where it grows up. And in its formative years, she or he um, will um, learn and encompass the values of the person that's caring for the child. So do you think showing that it love? even those parents that absolutely worship their children and do a really good job, yeah. could they be feeding things into that tuning and pruning process yeah. that isn't very helpful for that child? 
it depends on what the child wants to do when they're older, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, um, if a child goes to, you know, a top school in the country, um, the parents will have paid for that and there will be an expectation on that child from a very young age that that's the way the world is. Mm. You know, you go to a private school now, you'll do this, you'll do that. Then you'll, when you go to university, after you've been to university, you will have a choice about what you should do. For example, you might go into banking or you might go into business or you might go into politics. So the level of expectation and conversation mm. is already at that level. And when they do go to the top schools, you know, they won't be doing um, Johnny has five apples and two lemons if he has one lemon shared with somebody else and two apples shared with someone else how many of each will he have left it'll be um dad has uh, an investment of five million pounds in a european business if he gives 20 percent of that to somebody else what will be left so the whole exam and teaching questions will be implanting information and expectation about that's the way the world is right from the very formative years so the tuning and pruning is all about which neuron pathways are going to be useful and which ones stop getting used they're what the pruning is and the ones that get tuned are the ones that do get used to fit the child to the environment where they grow up so that's happening when that child is really young isn't it oh absolutely from birth yeah yeah. So once that tuning and pruning is done at that very early age, yeah. is that it? Well, we continue tuning and pruning those neuron connections for our whole life. Um, so if we stop doing something like um, mathematics or, you know, if we, if we um, stop using a certain skill, then some of those neuron connections can disappear. Whereas if we do new things new neuron connections build up and we get new developing neurology like riding a bike once you start learning how to balance then new neuron connections get built up and we'll always have that and the old way of thinking was that you know once those connections were set that was it yeah but that thinking's changed hasn't it yeah but a very simple way of putting it is your all our values all our beliefs are held in what richard wilkins calls your script hmm. Now, in NLP, we might call it the model of the world or your schema. But essentially, we read from the script because that contains all our values and belief system that has been fed to us from when we're very young. So we may still now feel, my sister may still now go to a buffet somewhere, see food being left and think, oh, I better have another sandwich. I'm not saying she would, but she could still have that. I know when we put on events and there's food, you know, um, at a live event and we paid for it and there's like some left, I'm like going around to the delegates saying, go and help yourself some more. You don't want to waste it. I don't say you don't want to waste it, but that's what I mean. Yeah. That's where it kind of, it comes from. So all our values and beliefs and the way we see the world comes from our script. So if we haven't got something in our script... Like, I was lucky because my dad bought a business when he was 30, 32, 31. So I'd kind of already seen 
somebody running their own business. You know, dad had a job in a company car. And then one day he came back in, you know, like, um, and he'd, he'd bought this business from a chap who retired, an engineering firm. So when I was thinking about starting my own business, I'd already had somebody in my life who'd done it already. So it wasn't like totally new. It was like, well, I've not done that. But I'd already, I could already copy someone I had. It was, it was part of my life. I had like concepts in my brain about people running businesses. It wasn't something alien to me, like it might be with some people. I quite like that word scripts. Yeah, I do. Um, because for me, it, it kind of says that it can be rewritten. Yeah. If you don't like what's in it yeah. um, and you don't like what's, what's going on with your script, you can change it. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting to start thinking about how you can look at your scripts, understand maybe where that bit of information or that value or that belief has come from mm -hmm. and do something different with it. Mm. But the thing is, most people, most people think that everything around them is real and that situations are real, but they're reading from the script that tells them that's real. And someone else, like if you have a meeting at work and you've got 10 people in the meeting, you've got 10 different scripts, mm -hmm. all with their own realities, that are all seeing things from their own script, which is why you get scripts. You don't need things like Belbin to tell you that. They've all got different scripts. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that every script is true to that person. They don't know any different or any other way. So in one episode, you were talking about if you run your own business. If I haven't got that in my script, that's completely alien to yeah. me. If I earn a certain amount of money for my salary and I see someone else who earns three times as much, my script won't know how to do what they're doing and how to get what they're getting because my values and belief system won't have that in it. Unless I learn how to do that, and that's where coaching can come mm. in because that can challenge your script, can't it? Absolutely. Sometimes we need that outside person to just ask us that question that we wouldn't even think about asking ourselves mm. that will just make us look at our script a little bit differently. Mm. I, even as a coach myself, I find it very useful to have someone else ask me those questions mm. yeah. um, because you, you're running these habits and patterns unconsciously from yeah. your script yeah. and you don't, often you just don't see it for yourself. Yeah. So it might be that, you know, I say something to you and you'll just ask me that little challenging question that will make me stop mm. in my tracks and go, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that before. Mm. And true coaching isn't about making suggestions because that's about applying your own script yeah. onto someone else and thinking, well, I know what they should be doing. <laughs> they should be doing this. Well, that's really, you know, that's not coaching at all. No. That's that's about mentoring or facilitating or something yeah. like that. But coaching really isn't about that, is it? No. So the thing about the script is that when we get people to come on our NLP practitioner course, 
and master practitioner coaching programs, we're actually helping them change their script. So the first thing that we talk about, really, after we've had introductions is you have a script and the way you're seeing the world is from your script. And actually, we don't see the world like through two television cameras. Um, according to neuroscience, we actually are throwing out predictions about what's going on in the world. So, you know, when you meet somebody and you, you always see someone in a group and you think, oh, she looks just like Kate. And then the next day, and you think it's Kate in the room because your script has got concepts of what Kate looks like. So you project out onto this other person that it's just like Kate's being image. But then the next day, the woman comes back in and she's got her hair tied differently and she looks nothing like you make Kate. Uh, or you see someone in the street and you're throwing out projections and because that's the way your brain works, throws out projections of what's already inside. Um, and you think you know them and and then you realise you don't and you're like, because you were ready to wave, but, or, you know, hi, it's me. So the things we predict what we're seeing, because our brains are too small, so it has to predict things. So the predictions come from the script. So only like 10% of the information comes in through our senses. The other information that's going to our optical cortex is coming from other parts of the brain. So... Our script then are, is actually showing us what is real and what isn't real. Is that too heavy for this? Absolutely not. So what you're saying is that we don't believe what we see. Yeah. We see what we believe. Yeah, exactly. So is that why we can experience things very differently. We can have the, be in the exact same situation as someone else. Yeah. But our experience is very different. Yeah. So I've got a great example of that because I love fairground rides. Yeah. Absolutely love them. Yeah. Um, but one of my daughters really, really doesn't like fairground rides. Yeah. So you take, take a salt and towers. I'll be the first one making a beeline for the biggest, scariest rides. And, I get so excited by it. Yeah. She would be shaking. Yeah. The the only thing you can get her on is something like the teacups yeah. that three-year-olds go on to. That's <laughs> it. So, you know, that's the end of it. I so, won't ask which daughter this is. <laughs> but it's, isn't it interesting how it's the same ride? Yeah. But my experience is completely different from her experience. Yeah. And what most of us don't realise is the experience is coming from inside. So it's not about the ride. No. It's about how we're thinking about the, the fairground ride. Yeah. In the same way that um, if I'm walking smudge or cock spaniel um, and somebody goes past in a car and I think he's driving a bit quick, whatever speed he's doing... If he's quite close to the pavement and it feels like he's driving quick, mm. that's coming from my experience. It's not coming from the actual speed he's driving at. So you're saying that he could actually be within the speed limit, yeah. but it will feel fast to you. Yeah, because he's quite close mm. or because the car's got a louder engine or something. But my experience of that is coming from within. So how can that, just, just knowing about your script, how can that help someone? Because 
if you know that your script is just based on what you've learned since you were born and it's like here's the way life works then once we recognize that i'm not seeing what i'm seeing is not real it's based on my script then we're more likely to be able to change it so if my script says You'll go to university, you'll get a good job, blue chip organization, blah, blah, blah. If my script says that, then that will be the way I see the world. But if one day I decide I want to stop doing that, and I've always enjoyed doing art, I've always enjoyed painting, well, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go. And I start doing painting, and someone says, that's really good then my script will start saying, actually, you're quite good at this. Why do you do some more? Or you were talking about being self-employed, mm. having your own business. You could start off by saying your script tells you there's not many, there's not much business out mm. there. That nobody, we've had people saying, we had somebody the other, the other, the other month, and they said, Nobody in Yorkshire likes spending any money. <gasps> She'll get me for this. She will. <laughs> Nobody in Yorkshire likes spending any money. Ten days into the course, she sold a breakthrough day for £1,900 with a coaching client. And that effectively but changed they didn't how exist. she thought. But they weren't there. Nobody in Yorkshire spends money. Nobody in Yorkshire likes spending money. But how interesting that that client liked spending nearly £2,000 yeah. on a breakthrough day with her. Yeah. So it's when you take action and you see a different result that builds that neurology, doesn't it? Yeah. But also, if you realise that the reality is your own reality, then it's more easy to take a bit of a risk and if you, because at the moment we're all, we're all seeing the room the way mm. it's coming from our experience, yeah. Um, and how we see it is coming from our script. So if we can realise and recognise that it's coming from inside, then we're more likely to step out of our comfort zone and try and do something else. Or like she did quote a higher price expecting them to haggle which they didn't, didn't. <laughs> and you can do that too so i think it's realizing that the experience is coming from inside mm -hmm. and that our script that we're what is what we're reading from we can start being a script writer as well as a script mm -hmm. reader and i think that's very empowering it is um you know this is this is something that i uh, when I'm coaching, this is something that quite often I will share with my, my um, coaching clients, especially when they feel like things are out of their control. Yeah. Once you realise that it's actually coming from you, mm -hmm. then that puts all the responsibility and all the um, the power within you. Yeah. Um, and quite often it's like a light bulb moment for people. Yeah. And they can see, well, actually... If I'm not getting the result that I want to get, if I'm not 
guessing what I need from my life, my career or whatever it might be, I can do something different. I can create that new reality. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit because everybody knows what perception is. Oh, it's just your perception. It's just my perception. And everybody gets it at an intellectual level. You know, do you remember seeing a picture of an old lady? And then if you look at it another way, you see a young lady. Yeah. Um, so you've got the young lady or old lady in the, the psychology course says that's your perception. You go, oh, right, okay, that's my perception. And it's a very surface level mm. learning, isn't it? What this is, is saying it's not just a surface level thing. It's your whole reality, the way you're experiencing what's going on is based on your script and your value system and beliefs. And if you can change or challenge that, then your reality will change at the same time. Like the woman who was selling the breakthrough day of coaching, suddenly her reality changed. And guess what? There's more of those out there that they didn't see before. And we've had loads of people have yeah. come on our course, haven't we, where they say, nobody wants to spend any money on coaching, blah, blah, blah. There's no coaching clients out there right now. And and that comes from their script because mm. they've lived in an area where there was a very industrial area or an ex-mining community or something mm. like that, where the script that's been fed to them has been you will go to work, you will work for somebody else, you will get a job, then one day you will retire and be grateful for it, like your granddad did and his dad. Whereas now everyone's like, everything's changed and people are expecting different things and the whole values have shifted, you know. And I think it's really interesting to look at younger people coming into the workplace. Yeah. Um, because actually, how they experience the world of work is very, very different from when you and I first went to work. Because mm. we're, we're cracking on a little bit now, aren't we, mm. Steve? Um, so, you know, the, the, the difference now, you know, was very much a job for life. Yeah. Get into a good company where you've got that stability and that security. Work hard. You might keep get your head promotion. Down. Yeah. Keep your head down, work hard. You'll get that promotion if, if you're there long enough. Yeah. Whereas I think younger people now, they're very much, if their experience isn't the way they want it to be, they mm. won't wait for the gold watch. No. They won't wait for the promotion. No. They will move. Yeah. And that, I think that move started in the 1980s, 1990s. And I think it's shifted even further. Yeah. So some people are even questioning their whole employment model. You know, they're saying, well, what's this? Who invented this word employment? Who invented this word um, salary? Who invented this word employer? Where does it come from? Because it didn't exist 500 years ago. It only started existing in like when we started having Victorian factories. People used to go and work to earn money in the fields or grow their own. They'd get up when the sun came up and they'd go to bed when the sun went down and exist that way. 
And then suddenly this model came along of the factory owner and employing people. And so they created the schools so the kids could go to learn how to, when the bell goes, you stand up in a line and you walk and you do this and you do that. And that, uh, that God created the earth and he created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he had a rest. Bit of a clue there, guys. You work six days, you get your Sunday off. But all that was ingrained into people's scripts 200 years ago. So you work your six days, you have the seventh day of rest. Yeah. And that's well, just how it works. You have to go to church, to go to church in the morning. On the Sunday. Then you're allowed to have a bit of a rest. So that was the whole way it was ingrained. And then gradually people started reducing the working week and people got a bit more flexible. Then there's another shift. Do you remember when we had the COVID pandemic? Mm. And some people had to work from home or were given the opportunity of working from home. Good job it happened when people had lots of personal computers or organisations yeah. very easily able to set people up with laptops and, uh, you know, and they were able to work from home. And guess what? When it was time to go back to work, some people said, well, actually, I'm quite enjoying this flexibility. And a lot of the managers were saying, yeah, it's okay. It works really well. It works well for me because I have calls with them. I meet up with them on a Friday. We talk about, we monitor and measure output and effectiveness rather than presenteeism. But a small amount of managers kind of said, well, unless they're here in front of us, then they're not working. Whereas actually the whole shift went from and script change went from um quite rapidly didn't mm. it yeah it had to we had to that flexibility um of behavior really made such a difference when, when the, the pandemic hit because the more flexible you could be the easier it was for you to adapt yeah in fact, we found that people completed qualifications quicker because we had regular Microsoft Teams mm -hmm. meetings with them when they're in different parts of the country. So they could get together on a two-hour Teams meeting mm -hmm. um, and be in the room with us and we could help them with where they're up to. So it shifted dramatically. So a lot of people's scripts mm -hmm. changed very rapidly. So things can happen um, in that wider environment yeah. like a pandemic or a world war, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. And that event can can change a whole generation's script. Yeah, it can shift massively. And if you look back in history of the human race, there's been these shifts in what we believe in, like believing the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. That was a big shift. Believing that the earth's flat, that was a big shift. That enable once that belief went, like the four-minute mile, as soon as the four-minute mile was broken, lots of other people beat the four-minute mile. That nobody said, they said Roger Bannister's heart would explode and <laughs> stuff like that, but it didn't. So back to your script. Your script contains all your beliefs, all your values, and it's the way you see the world. It's what throws out those projections. 
So when we come back for our next episode, this is going to be a two-part episode. When we yeah. come back for our next episode, we'll we'll talk about how that script can influence our beliefs and whether those beliefs are helpful to yeah. us or can hinder us. Yeah. And what we can actually do about it. Yeah. So, guys, um, we'll come back and we'll see you for the second part of this podcast. Um, Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me too.